Welcome to Map It Marketing for small business owners who want to become more confident and capable in their marketing. I'm Rachel Claver, and I'm a small business owner just like you. I've learned that there are so many different things that we are supposed to do all the time. And trying to work it all out is quite frankly often very confusing. In this podcast, we're going to explore what those things are and whether you need to pay attention to them. Ready? Let's get started. Hello, it's so lovely to connect with you again. I've said it before and I'm saying it again, I am not one to get excited about celebrities, but when it comes to amazing creatives, marketers and writers, well, I do get a bit fangirly. In today's episode of Map It Marketing, episode 17, we're talking to Lizzie Davidson, whose LinkedIn posts are my daily go-to for great information, excellent advice and the occasional professional disagreement. To be honest, I could have booked Lizzie to talk to you about almost any type of writing and content. She is a highly skilled all-writer when it comes to writing. However, months ago, Lizzie did a week-long series of posts around case studies and the power of them. We often press the importance of case studies and marketing specifically for service-based businesses to be used as social proof and third-party referral. For a long time, Identify was not really doing anything of merit worth us doing a case study, embarrassingly so, uh, which you'll know from episode two. Uh, But thankfully, these days are past, and we now try to collect a few every year. We personally outsource our case studies to an external writer, as I find it really hard to talk us up, and I get really embarrassed when clients say nice things about us and tend to shut them down. However, Lizzie does think it's possible to do these in-house, which is one of the things I'm going to be sure to be chatting with her today. Lizzie's going to walk you through what a case study is, why you need it, and how to make sure it's got all the important elements to build trust in the reader. Lizzie is a B2B content marketing strategist. She is a specialist. She's 20 years experience in copy and business development, and she's got a really strong strength in a strong strength in writing copy, particularly that will help get the sale. She crafts magnetic website copy, and she she and I both believe that great content marketing will attract clients who dig your vibe, love your work, and pay you what you're worth. I'm so looking forward to having this conversation with Lizzie. We go on quite deep around case studies and how to build them out, and I'm so glad that you're here to enjoy it too. Welcome to episode 22 of Map It Marketing. I'm really excited to have Lizzie Davidson, who I'm going to introduce to you in just a moment with us today. But before I do, I want to say thank you so much for taking your time to listen to this podcast. Your ear time is important time, and I know you've got lots of choices, so thank you for choosing to listen to me and Lizzie today. And also thank you for all the lovely feedback that you give us and the reviews. It is so appreciated, and it makes my little heart happy um, and totally justifies the CFO that I'm allowed to keep on doing the podcast too, as an aside. Um, Just before I do introduce Lizzie, um, if you would like to talk about things that come up through this podcast, please do come to my favorite part of the internet, which is our Facebook group, Map It Marketing, the same name. Um, and you can come and ask questions in there about anything to do with marketing or just come and get more of me, lucky you. Um, so without further ado, uh, Lizzie, welcome so much to Map It Marketing. Thank you for coming. And um, I will let you say something in a moment, but I also um, when you do, would you be able to tell us a little bit about your background and who you are and uh, why you think I might have invited you along? <laughs> 
Rachel, thank you so much for the lovely intro. It's it's so nice to be on this with you. I, I feel like I know you, um, even though we've never actually had a conversation before, because, you know, yes. through the wonders of social media. So it's, it's funny, it's, actually, isn't it? Because yeah. I've never heard your voice. I'd realised I'd never heard your voice today, but I feel like mm-hmm. I've had an internal Lizzie voice in my head for weeks as we've been talking on the interwebs. <laughs> Ah, and how does the internal Lizzie voice match up to the actual voice? You're a lot calmer and less, um, you sound a lot gentler in real life. Oh, that's not like you were nasty. That sounded terrible, but more just, I feel like because you have such a confident, strong voice when you do your Mm. posts, I kind of had them in this quite like, and here we're doing this. It's like quite a teacher and kind of, voice and you're so relaxed in person it's like a weird I feel I feel like I'm I feel now I'm gonna have to change the voice when I read your post I might have to go back and read a couple of posts in this voice oh that's I love that thank you what a cool thing to say um so I as well as being a you know part-time school teacher in Rachel's head yes um, (laughs) I am a writer and I am a content marketer and specifically those are kind of my superpowers, I guess. Um, but I use those superpowers to help consultants and freelancers, particularly consultants and freelancers who hate selling. Mm. I help them hit cold calling to the curb because you don't actually need to do old school selling to grow your business. Great if you love it. If you don't, you don't need to do that. You can actually attract your ideal clients by improving your website copy and by mastering content marketing. So that's what I help people do. Um, And I guess I came to that through many years of working in business development for creative agencies and getting an understanding of how service businesses can grow effectively, but also 12 years working as a copywriter. And so I've written website content and um, articles and blogs and you know you name it for businesses in New Zealand and Australia and the US for over a decade now. You write beautiful LinkedIn posts and like I find them beautifully crafted and I I do think it's really interesting this whole thing around the stop cold calling because there is this war that goes on between marketing and sales where marketing you know, sales need marketing, but they often want to do it all by themselves. They're like a stroppy toddler. So apologies to all the sales trainers out there, you know, and they often like want to just be able to go, you need to have the cold calling. But I know for us, as we focus on our content marketing, and I always say it's such a long game. This is not like a two-week thing that you do. There's this amazing alchemy that happens where suddenly this perpetual kind of momentum happens where you start getting one and then two and then this constant stream of people coming into your inbox and they're basically begging you to work with them. They're going, hey, I'm ready now. And and the sales process is often a 10, 15 minute just a conversation around the dynamics of that as opposed to meeting after meeting after meeting. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's kind of magical, hey, because Mm. you're doing if you're putting great content out there in the world is you're building a relationship with people. So by the time they actually come to reach out with you, they feel like they know you already, just like I feel like I know you already. And And I love you. (laughs) Yeah, right. So it is, it's magic. It's genuinely magical. Um, For me, I'm a salesperson as well as a, as a writer. So I'm not phased by the prospect of cold calling. And I think that is, 
you know, I think that's important to say that this is not, I do what I do, not because I'm scared of sales and, I, and you know, sales is not scary. I think, I think a lot of people are scared of sales and they don't realize that all sales are, is, is finding solutions to people's problems. Mm. And that's all it is. It's mm. nothing complex than that. Um, and that's not scary, but the reality is, is that you don't actually ever have to do any of the more confronting bits of sales if you've got your content marketing sorted. Right. I always feel too, for me, like I, um, I'm, I'm half Dutch, my husband's Dutch, and there's this really mm. good Dutch phrase called Nixon, which is the art of doing nothing, which I think is awesome. And I'm trying to bring that back. Like I think the art of doing it, but to do the art of doing nothing, if you're trying to grow a business, I love the idea that your pre-sales or your pre-qualification is one to many, you know, like in selling it is, it is by nature a one-to-one situation in general, but with marketing, it's one to many. So if you see marketing as your stepping stones or trust building blocks towards selling, you're doing one to many. And then from that, it's easier to get that sales process. Absolutely. And I I think just as an extension of that one-to-many, if you're good at niching, which is a whole other topic that we could talk at about for, you know, months, um, that one-to-many is alchemized back into a one-to-one conversation. Mm -hmm. Because although you're talking to many people, you're so specific on the persona that you're talking to that it still feels like that intimate Oh, definitely. And yet it always should be just to one person, shouldn't yeah. it? When you're talking, but it's more just when you're talking to one person in a social media platform or on a website, each person's getting that internet and or on email, you're getting that you're getting that internal connection with that one person, but you're doing it on a mass scale. Yes. And by mass, it could be 10, 100, 2,000 or whatever. It doesn't, a mass isn't, it's just more than one, really, when we're talking yeah. about. So I specifically asked you to come on here. We could talk about, I said in the introduction, the pre-introduction, we could talk about lots of different things. Um, but one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today was case studies. You did a series. Mm. You, I've noticed with your content marketing, which I think is clever, and I've been doing a similar thing with my podcast, didn't copy you, but definitely I I I'm probably was subconsciously influenced by you, is you seem to take a, t- a theme, I think weekly, I'm not too sure, maybe it's sometimes fortnightly, where you take a theme and you go deep in that theme. And one of those themes was case studies. Yes, I love case studies. Um, I only really do four things for people. I do website copy, I write blogs, I do case studies, and I do some coaching as well. Um, and I'm, I'm really think that focus is really important. You get better and better at the things right. you do if you focus and just do a few things. Um, but case studies, I think, are probably one of my favorite things of all to do because the thing I love doing more than anything else is talking to amazing people and mm. extracting learnings from them. And so case studies is a wonderful process for that. Um, And and a case study is, um, well, it's essentially just a story of a project, right? Mm -hmm. But it's not just any old project. You don't necessarily want to create a project, a case study for every single project that you do as a service provider. You want to cherry pick those really interesting projects that contain learnings that are relevant to your clients. And also, ideally, I guess you want to cherry pick projects that show off your abilities Mm. to solve problems and deliver results for your clients to their best advantage. So, yeah. Because I, I, one of the things I said in the 
initial and it's always unfair because you don't hear the intro until the podcast goes live so this is really mean I'm referring back to it but one of the things I said in here was that there was definitely a time in Identifies history where if I had had to go to a client to ask for one we wouldn't have been able to get one because we were doing a shit job you know we were doing a mediocre job and what we were doing this is quite a long time ago but I think one of the things I realized was case studies is it's impossible to have a case study unless you've done a great job and you've got a great relationship with that client. And yeah. that's the crux and the power of a case study, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. Um, a lot of There's a lot of really, really bad case studies out there. Um, and the reason they are really, really bad is because they are monologues. They are businesses telling stories of their projects mm. all by themselves without the input of their clients. And you shouldn't do that because, well, that's not a case study. I mean, it's fine to tell the story of a project as part of a blog post and the the things you've learned from it. Mm. Sure, knock yourself out. But that is not a case study. A case study is a, a duet. It's you, your insights, your take on the project and your client and their insights and their take on the project. And those two things together become something greater you know and I I like to think of a case study as um, a Devonshire tea is is I think the best analogy that I've come up with I'm up with that that sounds great tasty right (laughs) so if you've got a dry scone it's not that appealing right Mm. Um, and a dry scone is just like a business telling the story of a project all by themselves but if you bring in the client's insights you're putting some jam on your scone and it becomes stickier and more appealing immediately and then you want to whack some cream on top of your scone because you know who wouldn't right yeah exactly um, and um <laughs> the, the cream is is stats that prove yeah. results or glowing testimonials from your client mm. ideally both you know and so there you've got that sort of trifecta because i i feel like with case studies um, it's 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 one of the things that we always recommend like in our map it events it's one of the things we say is that that and testimonials are the best trust builders and with service-based businesses like especially the ones you work with case studies are really important because it's not just that flash in the pan I went to the spread event it is hey I had this long history with this person and this is what happened and the growth of it um, and so there is that power in it and I do think um, one of the things that I remember you and I had a slight, not a, a, I said one of the things I said is that I quite enjoy our professional disagreements because sometimes you'll say something like, oh, I don't know if I agree with that. And one of the Love things it. was I 100% believe that for, well, maybe it's for, I, I'm going to, maybe I'm going to fudge myself, but I think all businesses should look at outsourcing, getting their case studies written because I know I can write, like I have been paid to write case studies and because and, I used to do journalism. So I, you know, I know mm. how to do that. And I used to love doing them. And I used to get paid to do them by clients. But when it came to our ones, I, there was no way I was going to do my own case studies because as soon as the client starts saying nice things about me, I get all embarrassed. I don't pull out the things and I'm trying to over tell them often what it is that I did and you said oh no I think sometimes you can you know the business can do the case study it doesn't have to be external Um, but do you think there is an advantage in having an external help definitely definitely Um, so you can you can do case studies yourself because it's totally possible but you're right you have to get over that hump that you were talking about that embarrassment of Mm -hmm. going hey, so let's talk about me. (laughs) 
and how great I am. It's pretty tricky, right? I heard right? the other week and I was like, shh, stop talking about me. Let's move on. Right. It's, it's genuinely incredibly, incredibly awkward. Mm. And so, um, so there is that. And the other thing, the other thing, the other reason why it's actually a really great idea to delegate case studies, either by hiring a professional person to write them for you, or you can even um, just delegate the interview part of the case study to someone in your team who has not been involved with that project. Um, and there's there's two reasons why that's really important. I guess the first is, is that a case study interview with a client is also an opportunity for a client to vent. Ah, yes. If there is something that they are not comfortable with, they will often take that opportunity to talk about it. Now, this doesn't happen in every single case study interview mm-hmm. I do for my clients, but it does happen quite a lot. It's like I'm almost in a quasi therapist. Mm. You know, I'm coming in, I'm asking them to revisit the project. Um, and, and that's not a bad thing if they talk about things that have gone long, wrong along the way. You know, it's a great gift, in fact, actually, to to that your client cares enough to bother giving you constructive feedback, you know. Um, but and it and it almost always comes along with absolutely glowing feedback as well. You know, this is not like I, I I've never gone into a case study situation where they've gone, actually, we hated it and we hated you. And we just, <laughs> well, you <laughs> hope you wouldn't recommend that person. No, right. You hope you have enough analogy to go, mm. That, I'm never asking that person for a, you know. Not a case study project, that one. No. no, no, no. But often what will happen is they will go, you know, hey, there were a few things they could have done better and then tell me about them. And you need a neutral third party to extract that information because the reason they can tell me is they know I've got no flesh in the game and they don't feel yeah. bad about it. And then I think the second reason why it's really important to outsource them is that it's just that fresh perspective. You know, when you're so close to a project, you often, it can be hard for you to understand what the the really interesting angles of that project were, what the really valuable learnings were that you can extract from that project and share with other clients, you know, And, and an external person can go, well, that's fascinating. Let's dig a little deeper into that because that's really relevant. And you might go, oh. Okay, cool. Let's, you know. I think that's really key. Like I know that I, I did used to do quite a lot of writing and interviewing people, all sorts of stuff. And I remember that um, I used to love going and working with quite technical businesses. Um, I remember working in, with Becca and doing some content writing for them. And I was doing this thing with this guy and he was in charge of the traffic light controlling. And someone said, look, it'll be really boring. But of course, he's fascinated by it. So I catch his excitement. And so I'm asking questions, but I'm asking it from a non-professional in that business and I can pull it out. And that's what a case study person does, isn't it? Like a writer will ask questions that spark their curiosity. And those are exactly the questions that a prospective client is looking to answer because we, when we're in the business, we know we want people to hear, but we don't know what people actually want to hear often. And those are two very different things. Yes, absolutely. And often, well, always part of the case study process is I will have a conversation with my client about what they're trying to achieve with this case study. And I mean, of course, it's always, you know, primarily is to establish trust and credibility. But more than that, it's like, what are we hoping to 
where are we hoping to add value through sharing this case study? Where are the valuable lessons here? What is it in this that is really relevant to your other clients? Because that's your angle. That's your juicy hook. That's what we're focusing on, you know? So we'll have that conversation up front. Then I'll go interview their client. And that often can give, that can, that can flip things sometimes. Mm. And come back and go, actually, you know how we talked about that was the angle? It's not. This is the angle. But quite often, people are well along. Or similar. I think one of the things I found when we got our case studies done was um, the person that did them for us, um, Ruth, who, you know, is one of those other people I recommend to do case studies with. Mm. Um, she she said to me, oh, what's great is I've interviewed like five people and they've all mm. said that these are your values and they were the same values throughout, which was great because that was the reason we had crappy business, you know, four years ago we, or five years ago because we didn't have those values embedded. So it was like a real show to us that those values actually were consistent throughout those. Yeah, that's wonderful. You've just reminded me I need to do that for one of my clients, actually, because that (laughs) same thing happened. I did five interviews and people kept saying the same things about him and I just Mm. was out for him. Yeah, I think that's one of the things I've enjoyed by doing them for other people too is sometimes you'll just see these common threads and you go, this is actually what you can say your business does because these people are saying the same thing over and over again. So you mentioned before that that needs to have the customer voice in and it needs to have a bit of your voice in and then you need to have those kind of results as well or maybe some quotes. What with those results, are they numerical results? Is that what you want to see as some really quick things there or what do you want? Ideally, yes, because um, people, different people want different sorts of information. So when you're creating rich and um, powerful content, you want to make sure that it, it includes storytelling, that it includes statistical proof, that it includes visual inspiration, um, and ideally some form of infographic as well, because infographics bridge wow. the gap between yeah. visual inspiration and, and, and more sort of logical, rational. Because you people are, I mean, gross simplification, right? But but you've got people who are highly intuitive and story-driven in the way they ab- absorb information. You have people who are highly visual in the way they absorb information. You have people that are highly analytical in the way you absorb information. And it's entirely probable that your client base includes people, all those people. So when you create a piece of content, you want it to have something for everybody. So that's um, an ideal case study would have some success stats in it. Success stats are not always easy. So don't feel like you can't do a project if you don't have some success stats. Glowing testimonials are also fantastic. You know, mm. we yeah. um we actually had someone that we approached that we had a huge success win with uh, last year, and we ended up not going forward with it because mm. there were heaps of glowing praise, but there was nothing specific. Like I knew what the result was, but they didn't know the result. And our concern was, um, like the first month, I think we added like an extra fifty two k of sales to their turnover, and it, and it was like pretty much standard after that, and they grew from. 500,000 to 1.5 million in a year. Like we could, we saw that. Wonderful. They, they didn't have a finger on that. Like we knew it and we could see it. But when they were asked, they were like, oh, I don't know what the, I don't know what those are. And our concern was if we publish that case study, even giving it with, because we can see those results and someone asks them, hey, how was it? 
And they were like, I don't know what those results were because they don't have a finger on it. We were felt uncomfortable that that would present an inaccurate view. So I do yeah. think that it's really important that the customer actually knows what that result is as well. Agreed. You can actually ask when you're interviewing customers if there are results like that that you want to Mm. direct line between your work and those results you can ask leading questions I don't normally recommend leading questions because they don't get the best you know Mm. content back in return but you could have asked so Bob you know since you've been working with us in month one your revenue went up by this and now you've increased x percent to 1.5 million how has the work we've done together contributed to that success Oh, I think that sounds like a great solution. May need to go back to that one. (laughs) Right. Massively leading question. But you're right, because the work that you have done has contributed. You know, you obviously Mm. want to ask those questions authentically. You don't want to, you know, try and draw false. No. Um, But, of course, in that situation, your work had had a huge Mm. influence. Yeah. No, that's helpful. So tell me some things that... Like we um, in episode twenty, which uh, is a couple of times, a couple of weeks before this one, we did some work with um, Joel Woolley. He does brand story guidelines around websites and how to use the brand story guide. And case studies is a really important part of social proof for that. So obviously, um, I understand the importance of them. Where should they fit on a website, and where else should you use case studies? Like, in what format is it? Just on the web, or what? How should? How else can you use those case studies in your marketing? Yeah, great, great questions, Rachel. So where should they, your first question, where should they fit on the website? I mean, every website should have a portfolio section, um, you know, um, if you're producing, Mm. if you're producing, and this doesn't matter whether you're producing creative work, because portfolios are, um, you know, typically used for designers or copywriters like me or videographers. But if you're an accountant, you want a portfolio section. It's just that your portfolio section will include stories of great stuff you've done for your clients, case studies, essentially. So it's usually called portfolio or work or case studies. There'll be a section on your site that, that where that content lives. Um, case studies are an interesting thing because, um, I mean, we, I'm going to talk about customer journeys really quickly which is a huge rabbit hole that we could disappear down. But let's get not emerge for years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but just really quickly, and, and for anyone who's listening is not familiar with the concept of a customer journey, all a customer journey is is um is that concept that your a potential client moves through various stages of awareness of you as a solution to their problems until they're ready to buy. Um and a, a really um I pulled out this morning my favorite model. Um, there's a business coach called Jane Anderson, and I'm just reading this off the screen, actually. And her four stages of awareness, she really simplifies it beautifully. She goes, I don't know what I want, and I don't know you. <laughs> oh, I like is, that. It's great, isn't it? Um, and then the next stage is, I don't know what I want. But actually, hers are not stages so much. Sorry, I'm just um, contradicting myself. That. They're sort of states of awareness. I don't know what I want, but I know you. So you've already got a relationship, but they don't really understand that you have something they have that they need. Um, I know what I want, but I don't know who can help me out. And then the the ideal situation is I know what I want and I know you can deliver the goods. And so that's the kind of optimal state of awareness 
And I, I, but there's, there's kind of beyond that. There's also, I know what I want. I know you can deliver the goods and I like you and I trust you. And so I'm going to ask you to help me out. And so that last step that I like you, I trust you, that's kind of where case studies are really valuable. They can make that final push in that process. They can close the deal. They provide enough trust and enough relevant insights that you've solved similar problems for people like your potential client that they're like, okay, this is the woman for me. I'm going to give her a call. You know? so I call it a third-party referral. It's kind of like someone else. Yeah. It's it's for those people that don't have that direct word-of-mouth referral and may not have had a direct interaction with you. It's giving them that extra reassurance that you aren't, um, I don't know, actually somewhere in a, um, I don't know, in a dingy, I don't want to be, I don't want to choose any country in case I come across as racist at some, a dingy hotel in some weird third world country, you know, pretending you know, you're doing whatever you're doing, you know, like you, you, you actually are who you say you are. They are incredibly strong social proof. Um, and they also, they also work really well at the top of the funnel. Um, because if you've nailed your niche, um, there's nothing businesses and people like more than stories of someone solving the sort of problems they're experiencing. They're like, oh, I can learn something from this. I'm going to read this. Mm. You know, so they actually also work at that top, top of the top of the funnel. Now you asked two other questions at the same time, Rachel. Remind me of oh no, did I? Well, I know where so it I sits said, on the where website. should they be on the website, but also how where else can you use them? Oh and, mm. and, and like in what format? Yes, right. So you can use them everywhere, essentially. You can yes, absolutely have them on your website. If you don't, please go get some case studies immediately, says the woman who actually hasn't got any case studies. On her oh, it's okay. I have the same with frequently asked <laughs> questions pages. I've been putting them on people's strategy for like three years. I only did ours this year. And now, of course, I tell everyone about how important it is because I don't feel guilty. And I didn't have case studies either. Like The thing is, I always say is, look, you only need to be less shit than your competitors. And you only need to do the bare minimum of marketing to get the results you have. Now, you're already currently booked out. Like, we're going to talk later about how to work with you. But people have to work in advance with you a lot of the time because you're so yeah. awesome, right? So if you added case studies, can we? Can the world of Lizzie cope with the <laughs> influx? <laughs> Thank you so much. What would you be doing? The hook, Rachel. <laughs> you know, like, this is the time that you do that on a quiet January. Yeah. That is exactly what I will be doing next January, actually. You're right. Um, so you can use them everywhere. You can use them on your website. You can use them on social media. You can use them in e-marketing. You can use them in proposals. They are incredibly powerful uh, if you do RFPs, you know, if you're an oh, agency yeah. and you're regularly asked to bid in competitive bids for work, they always require case studies. Um, so I suggest to people that they create kind of four variations of a case study. You're going to have your long copy variation, which tells the full story. And then you um, want a shorter version that would sit in, that could work for um, proposals, for portfolios, or potentially for e-marketing. About 500, 600 words. Okay. They tend to be a little more structured. Um, you, you might go with the sort of time-honored a uh, problem um, approach outcome kind of kind mm. of structure there. 
Um, although try and use more creative headlines if you possibly can. Um, and then it's also really, um, you can create what I call like a case study soap opera where you chunk up your case study into lots of little installments. And that's brilliant to use on something like LinkedIn. You know, like that gives you a week of content to break up a, a good case study. And, and then at the end of the week, you can link to the full length one on your website as a, oh as a kid. That's a magic idea. Genius, right? Um, and then, of course, you also want to pull out those nutty little quotes and mm. use those as testimonials scattered throughout your website, um, anywhere that you can use a testimonial, really tattoo it on your ass, you know, wh- whatever works for you. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that will be the quote I'm using for <laughs> this podcast. Um, yeah. I was thinking that's actually kind of what I'm doing with the podcast. So I pull out quotes and then I use those quotes during the week to kind of like whet the appetite. And then on, on LinkedIn, I've worked out that I was just doing like an exit video of like a little bit of audio. But when you do video on LinkedIn, you get great engagement, but it only gets shown to like 200 people. But if mm-hmm. I do like a post or a PDF post, um, I get thousands of views. So I've started doing for my podcast an image of the podcast and then you'll see one today for the podcast that came out today and then like four or five different quotes from the podcast laid out and turned into a PDF document to push it out. And that's kind of, I can see that happening with this case study because I'm visual that you could repurpose the content in stages and have it like a colored document. I'm just thinking I'm going to do this for myself and almost like an infographic where (laughs) you could, um, as it it could be just images for a carousel in in LinkedIn or Facebook, but on on LinkedIn, you could have it as a PDF. So it's a PDF document. Yeah. Absolutely. And that would work super well. Like I love, I love this idea of repurposing it. I, to be honest, I, I can, I'm a bit disappointed in myself. I consider myself the queen of of um, repurposing content, and I haven't thought about this in this depth with case studies. So I am have considered myself illuminated right now. Oh, I'm really pleased to hear that. But you know what? It's like, and you are, you are the queen of content and repurposing content. But so many people aren't, and and I think that's one of the biggest things about content marketing if like I could have one takeaway from this other than go do some goddamn case studies already which (laughs) is that um content marketing is only as good as the use you make of it you know it's every piece of content if you're producing quality content represents hours and hours of work so use it until it squeaks you know use it until it's wrung out and you're sick of the sight of it because um you know, other people won't be sick of the sight of it. They aren't watching you as closely as you think they are, you know, so oh. you can get away with repeating yourself. In fact, you should be repeating. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Good, good content should be repeated. I, I, that mm-hmm. was something I learned last year because I, like you, because we write, for me, my content just flows out constantly. Like I have to hold myself back and go, oh, crap, I've already posted on LinkedIn today. I've had four <laughs> ideas since then. I've got to put, I've got to write them down, you know. <laughs> I have too much content. I'm now got I have different strategies for every platform just so I have places to put all my content. Like I have too much. But I yeah, know my poster child. I am like I am the I am the ADHD poster child. Um but but I am um, I was talking in the, before we re- record that I've self-diagnosed myself, everyone. I don't need a psychiatric um, assessment. I have just decided that I have ADHD. My father disagrees, he thinks I'm just lazy, but you know. Uh, <laughs> But I do feel like so many people struggle with this. If you spend time, like let's take frequently asked questions or case studies 
and you pull out of a good bit of meaty chunk of content and you spend time doing great captions and a good image, people aren't going to see it. You know, often it's only a small fragment of people see it the first time. And even if they don't, we know people take between 13 to 22 points of contact to kind of connect. So people could potentially see that six or seven times over a couple of years, that same piece, and it's not going to damage your brand. No, on the contrary, it's going to actually enhance your brand because Mm. that's all a brand is, is the constant repetition of a single core proposition, right? Do you do it with your LinkedIn posts? Because I don't think I've seen a repeat. Um, I do repeat themes. I don't necessarily repeat exact posts. So I'll I'll say the same thing, but just write it again because because you're not a bit bold. Yeah, I like writing. Can right? I ask you a question? I'm going to get you to introduce like how to get in contact with you soon. But on that thing around um, themes, do you have do you how far in advance are you planning those themes? Like, do you mm. is it, like how have you done that in your head? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd like to say I plan in advance meticulously, Rachel, but I'd be lying. But I do have a very, I have a strongly defined content strategy. So I know what my themes are. Like I've, you know, got three or four core themes that I mine repeatedly. Um, And really that's about as planny as it gets. But what I do do is I write blog posts and then I repurpose them ah, my LinkedIn yeah, I do that a bit it's, it's led by the blog post yeah. I will write a big long blog post which is typically like I don't know 2,000 3,000 sometimes 5,000 words and then, <laughs> right bloody baggy portmanteau things um and I'm not I'm incapable of short content it's like um I'm so so much respect for pithy content writers because you know I just can't do it <laughs> I think that's awesome. So I, because I, can I see if I can work out, now I'm putting myself on the line here because we didn't plan this. Can I see if I can work out what your core themes are or if I can yes. guess at least one? So okay. I believe your core themes are, one of them is, is that you need to put the customer at the heart and the center of your content. Yes, to a degree. Absolutely. Yeah. Or, well, how would you say that? No, I think that's really fascinating. I, I think for me, it's probably not a core theme, but because value? it's such it's a it's a value. Brilliant. You brilliantly put. Yeah. Um, my core themes are probably more um functional than that. Oh, okay. Because that is so fundamental to good marketing and good content. It, it, it is a theme that I come back okay, to. Okay, so I'm gonna do your values. So I believe yeah. that your values are the one that the customer is in the core and center. The mm-hmm. second one is, is that you have to tell interesting stories to capture people's imagination and keep them engaged. Yes. And then the third one, I'm I'm laughing now. I'm joking about this one. The third one is 1,300 characters is just not enough and you need to have 3,000. <laughs> no, that's not it. That's not it. But, um, and the third more one, is more, I, baby. Yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> I haven't used it yet. I, I've got used to living. I actually quite like limitations of, of word counts because it makes me pull words out. Um, I do get very brilliant. annoyed when I, I put something in and I've got to take words out because I'm like, ah, which which paragraph am I going to take, take out of here? And I get ruthless. Um, so, okay, so I'm going to say customers in the core and centre of it. Storytelling is key around doing that. And the last one I think I'm going to say is use real language, like use everyday language to describe things without getting too technical. That's, That's what I think your values are. Brilliant. I love it. Is it correct? It's pretty bang on, mate. Okay, there we go. So that just shows that consistency of language 
shows where those values are coming through. Mm. And I would choose you because of that. Like if I was looking for a content writer, if that, that's one of the things I think is so important, like for content writers. And like I see this with, you know, we used to have poor marketing for ourselves often because we'd use that excuse of we're too busy with businesses. But actually when you're in marketing or content or creational or stuff, it is so important to invest time into your own platforms because we see how your values are by the way you're displaying your conversation or the images you use and all those sort of things. It is really important to have that reflection. It's not enough to live on the laurels of the work you do for your clients. It's so important, Rachel. People need to know who you are who want to do business with you. And, and it's also, you know, it's, um, it's important to be, to, to get off the fence and be yourself fully because your job is not only to attract your tribe your job is also to scare away the people that can't handle the jandle you know it's like not everybody wants to work with sweary scots women who are opinionated and i know this is shocking news it's shocking news to me but you know they have bad taste they obviously have terrible taste poor darlings terrible taste but you know it's best that they know that's what they're getting up front because you know that, that way they can go find themselves someone calmer, safer. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting this because um, I'm a round woman and I often have women mm. say, oh, you're so brave showing yourself on social media. Mm. And it's interesting because I don't I, I don't see it as a bravery thing and I think it's slightly rude because I'm like, why? You, you think that, you know, like I should be worried about it. But I do <laughs> know that I definitely decided at some point, I remember deciding I've worked out that no matter who I am and what I do, 30% of people who come into contact with me will not like me no matter who I am. So I might as well just be myself so I can get the right people around me. And and that creates that sort of, it, it does, you're right, it attracts those people, but it definitely does. There are people that, are great people who just do not like me and and vice versa. Let's be honest. Like there are people mm. I don't like either. And understanding that, that I had people I didn't like was very liberating for me to realize that that meant that I also would be fair to assume that other people would also not like, like, like me. So when I do a podcast and I do a webinar and I do posts like you do, you know, you do, you do a lot of posts. I do a lot of posts. We're either going to be a lover or a stalker to people, right? They're either going to love us and love everything we do, or they're going to feel that we're cramming them and and irritating them and then we're a stalker, so they need to remove us and they don't need to get a restraining order. They can just unfollow us. Such a good lesson for life. It is, is, right? Like it's not our (laughs) job to decide whether we're a lover or a stalker. That's right. No, you're absolutely right. And it is so freeing when you finally, um, and it's it's tough for women because we're socialised to believe that we have to be likeable. and, and I think that is utter bullshit. You don't have to be likable. You have to be kind. It's a different thing, a very different thing. You have to be kind. You have to show respect. You don't owe the world likability. It's, it's interesting, though, because I, like I like, I do like you. Like, I've never met you before. So I don't think, I think people are likable if you get them, right? You just don't totally. have to be likable to everybody. Exactly so. And that that's, that's I guess that's what I mean is you mm. don't owe the world likability. You know, you do not have to be universally liked. It is an impossible ambition to be universally liked. Yeah. You know, realize that and embrace it. Yeah. And no one trusts someone that's universally liked. Ah, uh, no, because they're, they're slimy. They are. You're right. Mm. Because they're just, they're a chameleon. Yeah. 
I used to be a comedian because I used to just desperately want everyone to like me. And mm. so people would get like whatever Rachel I thought they needed and realizing I didn't have to do mm. that actually was so liberating. And I found my people by doing that too. Like I feel it, I think we waste women, but I do think it's a woman thing mainly. We do spend a lot of time um, trying to be everything to everybody else to try and keep everyone else happy. But it ends up being a very isolating thing for us because we don't find our people that we naturally connect with. And and finding those people are also, it's very good for us, not just for those people who get to meet us, right? Mm, I'm so glad that you stepped into, into your Me youth. too. It's much That's better. Great. It's much more fun. Plus, like I did, I'm doing this way back in the, like way back in the past, but like it, may, it means I've kept reconnected with people too that also are like that. Um, I don't know if you saw, I had a LinkedIn post yesterday, which is like, you know, two months away ago, but um, I went karaoke singing in the middle of the day with my friend Emma. And we knew each other at oh, school and we've that. kind of both come into this recently and it's like a reconnection, you know. I wouldn't have found that friendship if it hadn't been for the fact that I stepped back into the light of where I was meant to be. And I do think we find it hard. And I think too, for content writers and people that are creating things, we have to chameleon a little bit our writing style sometimes to fit. So we are smudgy, more tend to be a bit more smudgy because we have to write in the voices of other people. So it can make it a bit easier to, to forget that we still have our own distinct voice when we write. Mm, which is important and that's why I love your voice I feel like it is your distinct voice it is less school teachery than I thought it was so I'll have to do the soft tone now (laughs) I I am I am a little I am a little concerned about the school teachery it's like that's that's made me go am I too didactic I need to tell more stories and be less oh no I think I used to be a teacher don't be offended I I feel like it's more just it feels quite it feels like a voice of authority it's someone who I okay doing what they're doing okay so into my head that's a school teacher voice okay cool cool it's not like a school teacher like knowing what I'm it's not about. like a listen very much, very much. <laughs> no, listen, listen. it's not like that um sorry my Dutch grandmother stuff was coming out through me just then <laughs> that was brilliant <laughs> so, you know, it's not that but it is just the it is just that feeling of knowing that you know what you're talking about. It's a very calming yeah. place when you're in the presence of someone who actually does have depth in the words that they're saying. It's not fluffy. Good. That's nice to hear. And you see how my insecurity came out there, my female insecurity about being maybe too, you know, too assertive. Yeah, you're not being assertive. Isn't that, isn't that no. the, the no. crap we have to deal with? Eh? Yeah, it's rubbish. Okay. So <laughs> now, Lizzie. I have loved this. This has been fantastic. And I think it was cool having that little conversation at the end around um, those sort of feeling things as well. But if people, I know you've got currently got a waiting list at the time of recording. Do you often have a waiting list? I'm usually booked about at least a month out. Um, but that I say to people, don't let that put you off getting in touch if you do have something urgent, because if it's a smaller piece, I can often shoehorn it in. And that's often how I start relationships yeah. with people will do something small together and it it goes from there. Um, but and if you, you work have a website, mainly with professionals, right? You work mainly with coaches or people in that professional services space. Yeah, that's exactly right. So I do a lot of work with uh, creatives, like creative agencies, videographers, um, photographers. Um, I work with uh, professional services that are, you know, kind of more like your classic professional services, like consultancies and um, haven't worked with lawyers actually. It's, lawyers are the, an odd professional service thing of their own, very own. 
Could I, shall I use it as one of the breakout quotes of this podcast? Yeah, yeah, go for it. No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think lawyers and I would gel, so I'm just I'm just pulling them out of my. Here's some cool lawyers. I worked with a really okay. amazing lawyer last year. Do not pigeonhole lot. No, lot, there are some super. Cool some awesome, lawyers, amazing. And ones. I love what they do. I think it's just I say no, that. No, it's just a connection, right? Okay, and how do totally. people get hold of you? They can uh, hit me up on my website, um, lizzydavidson.co.nz, um, or email me. Hello at lizzydavidson.co.nz. So that'll be in the show notes. Plus, I highly recommend if you're on LinkedIn, giving Lizzie a follow and listening and reading her posts, which will help you build trust with her uh, because she's amazing. And Lizzie, thank you so much for giving your time today. It's been so lovely. And it's been lovely to see your face as well. So um, not that everyone on the podcast can, but I got to. So that was awesome. Lovely to spend time with you too, Rachel. Thanks so much. And I'll catch you on LinkedIn later. Beautiful. Have a gorgeous Friday. Thank you. You too. Lizzie was so great to talk to and I really enjoyed hearing about how she uses case studies. Now, I want to talk you through a little bit about the core features of a case study from this podcast. So Lizzie talked about how it was really important to have an authentic voice of the customer. It's not enough just to share your side of the story. It's good to have a few powerful pull-out quotes that help people skim and understand what the benefit of working with you would be, a list of clear outcomes and results that people can scan easily, and a breakdown of the key parts of the project and a highlight of some of the challenges found and overcome. And last, she recommended having some sort of visual representation, which could be a summary of facts, presented via an infographic, or a graph or an image to help tie everything together. One of the things I really loved about Lizzie's um, time with us today is talking about how you could use these case studies in different formats over and over again. And in episode 19, we're going to just do that. I'm going to talk to you about how I repurpose content to make our marketing message consistent and clear and just everywhere without having to do a whole lot of extra thinking. In fact, I'm going to use how I use this podcast to create a whole lot of different content. But next week in episode 18, you are in for a treat. Lucas O'Keefe is an amazing marketer. I've watched him. He grew a TikTok platform. I didn't know him then. And he recently has just grown to 150,000 followers on Instagram in a matter of months. Um, When I first contacted him a few months ago, he was at 100,000. And so just in a few months, he's gained another 50K. He's a really clever marketer and someone that I'm really dying to talk to about how to get that Instagram growth. I've noticed I'm starting to lurk on LinkedIn, so I reckon that's the other area that he's going to be working on. So we're going to be um, sharing some information with him and help you work out how to grow your audience if that's part of your marketing plan. Until then, have a great week. Thanks for tuning in today to Map It Marketing with me, Rachel Claver. Make sure you hit subscribe in your podcast app so you don't miss an episode. And if you want notes or information about today's podcast, go to rachelclava.com slash podcast for more information.